0: Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, February 1st. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu.
1: And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Uh, Jill, we'll get into it in the pod today. But those Super Bowl tickets, it's hard to find one for less than $10,000 right now.
1: (laughs) We've covered the story before. Fun is basically just too expensive. Anything fun, any fun experiences... They cost too
0: much. Right. You're basically, you have to make a decision between a new car and going to the Super Bowl this year. It also happens to be in Vegas, and I think that's probably adding to it. It's just, you know, it's it's Vegas, so you can make a whole experience out of it. Which actually means probably double the ticket price because (laughs) there are only ways to lose money in Vegas as much as we all would like to believe that we can come away winning money in that city.
1: All right, Moshe, let's get to some news here. A fiery hearing on Capitol Hill. Tech CEOs testifying about what they are doing or not doing to keep kids safe online.
0: And what one senator made Mark Zuckerberg do in the middle of the hearing. Jill, I've covered hearings on Capitol Hill for 20 years. I have never seen this before.
1: A warning from the head of the FBI about Chinese hackers looking to hit critical U.S. infrastructure. To Ukraine, a rift between Ukraine's president and his top military leader as we near two years since Russia invaded. And it comes as Ukraine running out of ammunition. Here in the US, a new bill in Congress calls for creating children's savings accounts from birth. And most some data from the CDC, finds that premature birth rates rose double digits in the past 10 years. In lighter news, how one thousand dollars a night for a hotel room has become the new normal.
0: So that trip to Vegas is getting even more expensive, Jill.
1: <laughs> Correct. And are you ready for it? Tickets for this year's Super Bowl, the highest on record. Plus Moshe is on the stay in history.
0: On the stay in history, Jill, a certain band asked America, do you have the time? To listen to me
1: whine. Mosh, I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: Oh, Jill, you're a product of the 90s. You're going to be smacking yourself. By I'm going to be mad podcast. at myself. You're going to be so <laughs> mad. Yeah.
1: Okay, let's start with that heated hearing on Capitol Hill. Big tech CEOs facing some tough questions from lawmakers about what they are doing or not doing to keep kids safe online Some of the issues, sexually explicit images of children online, bullying, child abuse, drug deaths linked to the social media platforms, many of which resulted in deaths. The heads of Meta, TikTok, Snapchat, Discord, and X, which is the new name for Twitter, testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee on Wednesday. And in the audience were families of kids who lost their lives because of things that happened online. For example, a mother whose son died from a pill that was laced with fentanyl ordered on Snapchat. Others whose children were subject to cyberbullying, developed eating disorders, and took their own lives after online harassment now, perhaps the most powerful moment at the urging of Missouri Republican Senator Josh Hawley, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg stood up and apologized to the families that were gathered in the hearing room, many of whom were holding photos of their kids. We're going to play a clip from that hearing now. Zuckerberg, just to mention, not wearing a microphone, so it's a little bit hard to hear what he's saying.
0: Let me ask you this there's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? Would I, you like to do so now? Well, They're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people?
1: I, 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 I'm sorry so, for everything that we've all endured,
0: and one's that to go through the things that your families have, have suffered, and this is why we invested so much, and are going to continue doing these remediation efforts. To make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had
1: to Now, in case you couldn't hear it, Zuckerberg apologized and said, This is why we invest so much and are going to continue doing industry wide efforts to make sure no one has to go through the things that your families have had to suffer. Mosh, there's not that much that Democrats and Republicans agree on these days, but certainly they had a united front at Wednesday's hearing. They have held tons of other hearings about this, but it seems like perhaps the presence of so many parents really heightened the emotion and gave this issue of online safety a sense of urgency.
0: Joe, there were the parents, there were also uh, young activists wearing t-shirts that read, I'm worth more than $270. That's a figure that came out of a, a lawsuit from an internal company document that the lifetime value of a 13-year-old to each of these companies is $270 over their lifetime. And as you mentioned, there have been so many hearings. We've covered them on this podcast before over the last five, six years. No real legislation. Every time we ask, coming out of the hearing, is that going to change anything? Will Congress do anything about some of the issues that Americans are experiencing online? It does appear here that they're closer than before uh, coming out of this. Notably, five CEOs there, but really Zuckerberg, From Meta and the TikTok CEO uh, taking the brunt of the questions and the lectures. And it comes as several of those companies are facing legal issues right now. Parents of more than 60 teenagers filed a suit late last year against Snapchat for what they say was facilitating their children's acquisition of drugs that were purchased on the platform. And then those children sadly overdosed. You mentioned the Zuck apology. Another senator made the Snap CEO also apologize in a slightly less dramatic fashion. He didn't stand up uh, and address the crowd. He sort of looked over while seated. Uh, California Senator LaFonza Butler asking Snapchat CEO Evan Spiegel about the fact that people can access drugs, purchase drugs on the Snap platform. Take a listen.
1: There are a number of parents whose children have been able to access uh, illegal drugs on your platform.
0: What do you say to those parents? Well, Senator, we are devastated that we cannot prevent- To the parents. What do you say to those parents, Mr. Spiegel? I'm so sorry that we have not been able to prevent these tragedies. We work very hard to block all search terms related to drugs from our platform. We proactively look for and detect drug-related content. We remove it from our platform, preserve it as evidence, and then we refer it to law enforcement for action. We've worked together with nonprofits and with families on education campaigns because the scale of the fentanyl epidemic is extraordinary. Over 100,000 people lost their lives last year, and we believe people need to know that one pill can kill. That campaign reached more than 200 was viewed more than 260 million
1: times on Snapchat.
0: So it's really a game of whack-a-mole uh, for these tech CEOs trying to basically stop their platforms from being used in ways uh, that lead to death. Here, but what we've learned over time is they're aware internally of some of these issues way earlier than they make the public aware of them and way earlier than they make changes about them. We've heard it from the whistleblowers, by the way. The Facebook whistleblower from a few years ago was in the audience uh, yesterday as well at the hearing. So sort of a a who's who of people from these uh, companies over the years. I do want to come back, though, Jill, to that Zuckerberg apology. I was talking about it with a friend and wondering if he really had a choice because he was really put in an awkward position, right? Like one choice is Senator Hawley saying, go apologize to them, stand up and apologize. And him saying no, like refusing to face the parents. <laughs> like that would have been a terrible look. At the same time, the awkwardness of him standing up, turning around, addressing the parents, also not an incredibly good look. So I guess you got to give him points for making the better of the two decisions, but still put in a very difficult spot there by Hawley.
1: Right. And these hearings aren't that visually interesting. So just the fact that he stood up and turned around, you first you saw you saw all the photographers scrambling. Right. At first, I actually I was watching on C-SPAN and I thought I had sped up the video. But I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, they're actually moving that quickly to get the picture. So spoiler alert, if you have not looked at the front page of a newspaper yet this morning, that's going to be the image. You know, the the Zuckerberg standing up and apologizing. And yeah, it certainly was dramatic. But the real question is, what exactly do lawmakers want to do about it? And about it, I I said there's a host of problems and there's not really a silver bullet. There isn't one piece of legislation that's going to fix all of the issues. Senator Amy Klobuchar, she has been working on, on safety issues on social media for years. And she pointed that out. She said it's been 28 years since the start of the Internet. We have not passed any of these bills because everyone's double talk and it's time to actually pass them. Part of the problem is that 28 years ago, as she mentioned at the start of the internet, lawmakers passed a federal law called Section 230, which basically says tech companies can't be held liable for the content that users post on their platforms. Some of these bigger tech players have argued that repealing Section 230 would actually hurt startups at this point and the little guys, because they're the ones that wouldn't be able to afford defending themselves against lawsuits over their content.
0: Right. So while Section 230 is now being criticized by uh, making it more difficult to sue companies like Meta, TikTok, etc., the argument for it is that how can they be held responsible for millions of posts a minute from all users on the platform, it would really limit what these platforms can allow. It would really limit creativity. It, those platforms would not be what they are today, the good parts of them either, if they had to worry about me or you or anybody else at every single thing we commented or posted. Hence the issue with Section 230.
1: Mark Cuban is one of the people who has argued, okay, fine, so you don't go after the social media companies because of everything that somebody posts, but you can and should go after them over what they amplify you know, their algorithm.
0: And notably in November, there was a federal court judge. This is a case that is being adjudicated right now and going up through federal court. Uh, It's a number of states suing Meta. And one federal judge actually looked into Section 230 and said, actually, you can be sued, tech companies who say Section 230 protects you because this is a flaw in your algorithm. This is a flaw in the way that your uh, software is structured. And so because of that, People can sue you. So that's going to be interesting to watch. That's a judge who said, regardless of any uh, changes to the law here, that they believe that Section 230 has been overinterpreted to protect these tech companies. And that's something we'll watch as well, unless, of course, they do something about Section 230 in Congress.
1: Well, Republicans and Democrats on Wednesday did call for the repeal of Section 230, And there are a number of different bills besides for that that are being considered right now. One of them is called the Kids Online Safety Act or COSA that would require online services take reasonable measures to prevent harm. So everything from harassment to predatory marketing.
0: Yeah. So this is co-sponsored by a few Republicans, a few Democrats. As we said, one of the few issues in Washington that the two sides seem to agree on would also require the services to turn on the highest privacy and safety settings by default For users under 18, I think uh, during the hearing yesterday, we heard from Snapchat who said that only 10% of parents actually turn on uh, safety settings for their kids. So that's been something Meta and others have been saying, hey, we have all these things available. It's just that they're either difficult to use or parents aren't able to get around to changing them or the kids get around them in some way. That said, COSA, which seems to have some momentum here – is opposed by the ACLU and other free speech groups, saying it's far too vague, it would not be a solution. And so uh, there's definitely some opposition here. SNAP supports it. Interestingly, Meta and TikTok oppose COSA. There are a handful of other bills being considered right now. Senator Dick Durbin, a Democrat from Illinois, has one called the Stop CSAM Act. This is about protecting children suffering from abuse and mistreatment. Uh, It supports victims, increases accountability and transparency for online platforms. And then, of course, there's a lot happening on the state level, similar to what we've seen with gun safety and other issues. When Congress doesn't get involved, states try to do things state by state. The challenge there is that forces the platform to go to one new standard based on what one state does, because they can't, you know, have different forms of Facebook and Instagram for 50 different states. So uh, that's, again, one of the challenges here. But we'll see. It's an election year. So Congress doesn't tend to get much done in election years. But if they're actually as passionate as they acted in that hearing yesterday, Jill, I would think they would follow up with some serious attempt um, at legislating here.
1: All right, plenty of news ahead. But first, a quick word from our sponsor this week, Factor Meals. We are definitely pressed for time in my house and still want to eat healthy and nutritious. So that is why we are so excited about Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. They can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door I have been loving them lately. I grab them from the fridge. I heat them up and they are legit delicious. They're not like frozen grocery store dinners or lunches. I've been eating them for lunch and I feel, most like luxurious eating like this warm, delicious lunch when normally I'm just grabbing whatever in my pantry. Um, plus, you get to skip the extra trip to the grocery store and all the chopping, prepping and cleaning up. While still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need, Factor is fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you've got to do is heat and enjoy. You can choose from over 35 weekly meals. It's flexible for your schedule. Get as many or as few as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus you could pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And they've got cold pressed juices, which I absolutely love. Shakes and smoothies ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head over to factormeals.com slash monews50 and use the code monews5050 to get 50% off. That is code monews50 at factormeals.com slash monews5050 and get 50% off. All right, time for the speed read from CNN. FBI Director Christopher Ray on Wednesday warning that Chinese hackers are preparing to wreak havoc and cause real-world harm to the United States. Though cyber officials have long sounded the alarm about China's offensive cyber capabilities, raised dramatic public warning underlines the huge level of concern at the top of the U.S. government about the threat that Chinese hackers pose to critical infrastructure nationwide. Here's some of his testimony. The CCP's dangerous actions, China's multi-pronged assault on our national and economic security, make it the defining threat of our generation. Now, when I described the CCP as a threat to American safety a moment ago, I meant that quite literally. There has been far too little public focus on the fact that PRC hackers are targeting our critical infrastructure, our water treatment plants, our electrical grid, our oil and natural gas pipelines, our transportation systems, and the risk that poses to every American requires our attention now. He said the Chinese hackers are working to find and prepare to destroy or degrade the civilian critical infrastructure that keeps us safe and prosperous. The Chinese government has previously denied allegations of hacking efforts. This hearing comes in the wake of a big push by U.S. and Chinese officials to ease tensions in the relationship between the two superpowers.
0: There was that meeting in November between the Chinese president and Biden where China was like, we're not going to interfere in the election. And Biden's like, thank you for that. But it's less about elections here and more about Chinese hackers getting into other parts of U.S. infrastructure. We're talking about water treatment plants, electrical grids, oil and natural gas pipelines, transportation systems, a whole variety of systems, many of them owned primarily by private companies. So that makes it more challenging for the government to protect it because ultimately it's on these companies to create their own defenses, some better than others, some who still allow their employees to use password one, two, three as their passwords, making it easy for hackers, of course. So it wasn't just Ray, we also had leaders from the US cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency testifying Mm -hmm. yesterday, one of them saying the truth is that Chinese cyber actors have taken advantage of very basic flaws in our technology, we have made it easy for them. And as I said, the tech here pretty unsecure software developers have made things pretty easy here, they haven't been held liable of potential issues. So effectively, we're leaving the uh, back door unlocked. And in some cases, you can say the front door unlocked here. Uh, Part of the problem here is just a sheer numbers game. According to the testimony from the FBI director on Wednesday, he said he believes that China's cyber operatives outnumber FBI agents by a number of 50 to one.
1: Those are not good odds, Moshe.
0: (laughs) But at, at the same time, you know, they're making folks hyper aware there is cooperation between the government and companies, but ultimately here, there are some key vulnerabilities, but also the fact that some of our systems still are so old that they are essentially unhackable. They're still using like MS-DOS and uh, floppy disks. And so in some cases, the fact that, you know, some people have kept their systems offline, is helpful in this case.
1: Okay, from the Washington Post, Ukrainian President Zelensky telling his top commander, General Zeluzny, that he was firing him in a meeting earlier this week. That's according to a senior official familiar with the conversation. This would be a disruptive military shakeup as Ukraine struggles on the battlefield. Zeluzhny remaining in his post for now, but a formal presidential decree is expected. Nearly two years into Russia's invasion and as Moscow's forces appear to be gaining ground in some parts of the front, Zelensky's spokesperson denying the firing It's far from clear that any new commander will be able to improve Ukraine's difficult situation on the battlefield without significantly more forces and weapons. Zaluzhny's popularity, both within the military and among ordinary citizens, makes his removal a political gamble for Zelensky. And it also poses strategic risks at a time when Russia has intensified its attacks and Western security assistance for Ukraine has slowed. We've been reporting here about how American funding for Ukraine has basically dried up and any additional money is basically being caught up in politics here. But tension between the men had been building for months. Last year's highly anticipated Ukrainian counteroffensive using soldiers trained by NATO allies and with Western weapons and equipment didn't do as much as hope. They reclaimed very little territory, falling far short of expectations.
0: Yeah. And part of the reason Zaluzhny and his American counterparts disagreed sharply over tactics, Uh, he ignored U.S. advice to concentrate his forces uh, in a specific area, which he believed would have caused higher casualties. So he spread them out. And it meant in some cases they took back, you know, less than a mile of territory along the 600 plus mile battle line. In the conversation on Monday, Zelensky told Zeluzhny that Ukrainians have grown tired of the war and that the country's international backers have also slowed military assistance. So maybe a new commander will help here. Zeluzhny has proposed mobilizing close to half a million troops. Zelensky has said that is impractical given, among other things, a lack of uniforms, guns, training, uh, and other potential challenges related to recruitment here. And it comes as Zelensky's realized that he's also lacking money here, lacking the funds to pay for new conscripts. So it's not clear who will replace Zeluzhny here. Uh, Keep in mind, Zeluzhny is also incredibly popular uh, and has been seen as a rival to Zelensky, who we've told you postponed canceled elections this year uh, due to the state of emergency in Ukraine. So some people are looking at the pure politics of it, saying he's basically knocking out a rival here uh, who could unseat him at some point and so as we enter 2024 here a lot of challenges for ukraine as we enter soon enough later this month the third year of the war
1: and sticking with ukraine from bloomberg ukraine's warning its allies that it's facing a critical shortage of artillery shells with russia deploying three times as much firepower on the front lines each day Switching gears here from CBS News, preterm and early term births in the United States have increased from 2014 to 2022, putting babies at risk. This is according to some new data from the CDC. That data shows that the preterm birth rate, meaning delivery before 37 completed weeks of pregnancy, rose 12% during that time period, while early term birth rates, that's at 37 to 38 weeks, rose by 20%. And this is compared to full-term births, which are those delivered at 39 to 40 weeks. Researchers found that rates of preterm birth increased by about 2% each year. Black mothers were almost twice as likely as white mothers to give birth before babies reached full term. And women older than 40 had a greater risk of preterm birth compared with women aged 20 to 29.
0: The report says that births delivered preterm are at the greatest risk of adverse outcomes, uh, but the risk is also elevated for early term compared with full-term births. Now, while some of the increase is due to early induction and early C-sections, the trends of those have actually been going down in recent years, according uh, to this report. Now, as to the why here, stress has been shown to be correlated to preterm births, indicating that the social and economic stressors that are believed to drive many preterm births could be worsening. Another reason behind the increase is that women are having babies at an older age, which raises the risk of preterm births, though they did see an increase here across all age groups. So they're also factoring in here increased rates in this country of obesity, high blood pressure, and diabetes. All of those conditions can lead to preterm births, uh, and there are complications, of course, associated with obesity. Now, while obesity doesn't cause early births, it does at times lead to preeclampsia, which does cause early birth.
1: From CNBC, building wealth could feel like a struggle for today's younger generations who grapple with student loan balances and high home prices. But now a new bill introduced in Congress looks to make it so that wealth creation starts from birth. The proposal is called 401 Kids Savings Act. It's led by a group of Democratic senators. The plan calls for providing savings accounts for every child in the US on state 529 college savings platforms, which would be managed by state treasurers accounts would be established for kids under the age of 18 and for newborns. More than 80 percent of young adults ages 18 to 24 had less than $20,000 in wealth, according to a report about this proposal. And this bill aims to double that by making it so a qualifying low-income single parent with a newborn could accumulate more than $53,000 for that child's benefit by the time they turn 18 years old.
0: So, through 401 kids, which is a playoff of 401k here, families would be eligible to make annual contributions of up to $2,500 per child ages 0 to 17. Low to moderate income families would also be eligible for annual federal deposits until the child turns 18. The idea here is that if you're a single tax filer who makes 75k or 150k, if you're married, you'd also receive $500 per year per child child and then that would phase out if you uh make income above that level the children would only be able to use the funds once they turn 18 here for education or training buying a home or starting a business you could also roll these funds over to a roth individual retirement account Now, the question is whether this will get support from both parties here to go through. We've also seen talk from some Democrats to push a program called Baby Bonds that would provide every American child with $1,000 at birth and then funds through that time. You've also seen this at the state level. Oklahoma has a program called Seed for Oklahoma Kids. And you have baby bond programs in states like Connecticut and Washington. So we'll see if it happens on the federal level.
1: From Bloomberg, it wasn't long ago that spending a thousand bucks a night on a hotel room was considered an extravagance, even among ultra high net worth travelers. But lately, that figure merely gets you in the door at luxury properties in major markets. Online searches for reservations in Paris this spring revealed more than 20 hotels charging at least a thousand bucks for entry level rooms. In London, 13 hotels reached that level, there were a dozen in New York. From 2019 to the end of 2022, luxury room rates rose 35% in Europe and 28% in North America, according to data from CoStar Group, a hotel market researcher. The phenomenon is most pronounced among new hotels, but it applies to established hotels as well. In some cases, prices have snowballed after one new hotel tested a ceiling And people paid it. Mm. Competitors eventually followed.
0: Yeah. And you've also seen challenges to Airbnb in places like New York, which has allowed hotels, uh, at least in New York City, to increase prices without much competition. Another factor here is the number of new hotels that have been built uh, in the past couple of years. So they're passing along those costs to patrons. And then there's inflation overall, hotels pinning blame here on staffing costs, utilities, insurance expenses. But analysts here saying that the more something costs, the more aspirational it becomes, saying that the price of a Chanel bag keeps going up. It doesn't stop people from buying the Chanel bag, wanting it even more and saving up for it. So the testing of the ceiling here and the stretching of the ceiling by these hotels seems to have worked. Despite the higher rates, occupancy numbers have gone up. Uh, reaching 67% in the U.S. in 2023, up from the numbers in 2022. So still not at pre-COVID rates, but still going up, even though prices are going up. So I'm sure there are still deals to be had, Jill, but effectively prices from the cheapest hotels and the most expensive hotels all going one direction.
1: And speaking of things that are just too expensive to even do. From CNN, ticket prices for this year's Super Bowl matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers is shaping up to be the most expensive Super Bowl on record. According to Tick pick the average price hovering around $9,800, so almost 10,000 bucks. That is 70% more expensive than last year's big game. The current cheapest price for this year's game is $8,188. That is more than 50% more expensive than the cheapest ticket price last year. Defending Super Bowl champs, the Chiefs are headed to the big game for the fourth time in five years. The last time they faced the 49ers in the Super Bowl was in 2020 when the Chiefs mounted a comeback and were victorious. The 2020 game was previously the most expensive Super Bowl on record.
0: All right, Joe, I'm on StubHub right now, and, you know, we're looking for the cheapest ticket, which is around $7,000, $8,000 right now. Uh, The most expensive tickets, by the way, if you want a really pretty good view, someone is trying to sell their tickets on StubHub, section C-110 at 95k a pop. So, $200,000 for two tickets to the Super Bowl. Unclear if they'll get it, but clearly people are stretching the limits uh here for how much they can get for the big game. Of course, there's the game itself, San Francisco, Kansas City, Taylor Swift, Usher a halftime show, but of course, it's also happening in Las Vegas. Uh, which is a big factor here, they say, in the record high demand. It's turning the location here of a three-hour game into a full week of festivities. We know there's no shortage of things to do in Vegas. Vegas has also slowly become a sports capital in the U.S. It held a Formula One race in the city in November. Now, if you're trying to play the odds here, Ticket prices do sometimes decline as the game gets closer, as resellers look to offload their seats here, especially those $95,000 a pop tickets there that I just mentioned. But don't look for a bargain, they say. Uh, They have done an analysis of some recent Super Bowls. And while prices could come down a tiny, a smidge over the next week and a half, in some recent matchups, they haven't seen any significant decreases in prices. So basically what you see now is what you're going to get. A reminder, Super Bowl 58 takes place Sunday, February 11th. Kickoff happens around 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. But Jill, I imagine even if you can't get tickets to the game itself, it might be fun if you're into it to go to Vegas uh, and enjoy kind of being part of it without actually entering the stadium itself.
1: Kind of like when I was a student at Michigan and I would go to a tailgating party, but I yeah. wouldn't actually go to the football game.
0: Yeah, yeah, go tailgate at the Super Bowl. So it's still based on <laughs> what we just told you, probably going to still cost you a couple <laughs> thousand dollars. All right, now time for On This Day in History. On this day in 1884, the first portion of the Oxford English Dictionary, uh, considered the most comprehensive and accurate dictionary of the English language, was published. Now, the first section here was 352 pages, and it basically covered A through ant, A-N-T. It sold only 4,000 copies. It actually took them more than 30 years to get to Z, to get through all the words of Z. Finally, by late 1928, you could get a full edition of the Oxford Dictionary from A to Z. It makes sense, though, that they only were able to sell 4,000 copies of the A through Ant Dictionary. There, that first go around. All right, fast forward to the 20th century. On this day in 1982, Late Night with David Letterman premiered with Bill Murray as the first guest over there on NBC. Letterman known for his more eccentric uh, tricks and segments, including the uh, top 10 list. And on this day in 2003, while returning to Earth from its mission, U.S. Space Shuttle Columbia broke up catastrophically at an altitude of about 40 miles over Texas, killing all seven crew members aboard. We end here with a bit of music history on this day in 1992. Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me Me by George Michael and Elton John reached number one on the Billboard charts. And, Jill, here's the answer to the clue from the beginning of the podcast. On this day in
1: 1994. Do you have the time? Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) That's right, Jill. Green Day released their album Dookie on this day Day. 30 years ago.
1: (laughs) Can I even call myself an elder millennial or early 10Xer? I was going
0: to say, Basket Case, that was big. 1994, Green Day. And finally, we've been talking about Super Bowl. We've been talking about Justin Timberlake. Well, today's the day. On this day in 2004, it's now been 20 years, everybody. JT and Janet Jackson had their infamous Super Bowl halftime show performance where he tore away part of her costume, the infamous wardrobe malfunction. It led to Jackson getting blacklisted, but Timberlake was still welcomed by the music industry. There was a whole series of apologies, regret that basically they blamed the wrong person. But yes, on this day in history, that infamous halftime show.
1: It is incredible. If that happened today, I think the reaction would be completely different.
0: Yeah, only 20 years ago, but a very different era.
1: Okay, everybody, thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. Have a
0: great Friday Eve, everybody. (laughs) We're still trying to make that happen.
1: Well, we're going to make it happen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.